The Truth News Network. Remember when your mother told you if you can't say something good, don't say anything at all? Well... Yes, he didn't have anything good to say this morning. <laughs> good morning, everybody. Welcome to Tuesday at TNN Live. Thank you so much for being here every day. We thank you for being here, especially today. It's going to be a special day. It's Tuesday. And of course, you know by now, Tuesdays mean our second hour. Our uh, compadre, our investigative journalist, Steve Baker, will be with us talking about Many, many, many things going on in D.C. and some pretty ugly things that have been going on in D.C. for some time. But Steve will be with us at the beginning of hour number one, hour, excuse me, at the beginning of hour number two. Hour number one, I got to be honest with you, it's kind of sad. We've got some really, really ugly things to talk about. One you may not even have heard about yet today is a blazing fire just across the border from El Paso, Texas in Juarez, Mexico. If you know anything about that area, I-10, Interstate 10, runs right through El Paso. And along that interstate is the actual border of El Paso and Juarez. In fact, you can look right across the fence, and there is Juarez, Mexico. A horrible fire and it's killed a bunch of people. We have that to talk about. Of course, we have the school shooting that happened up in Nashville yesterday. Much, much, much negative news to talk about today. But you know what, folks? Negative stuff is important that we know about. Why? Well, of course, we can mourn the lost, but that's not the chief reason. The chief reason should be How can we keep these evil things from happening, these horrible things from happening again? That's the difference between a completely free democratic country and one where our leadership today, listen to what I'm about to say, our leadership today, who's our leaders? Well, right now it's President Joe Biden. It's 506, uh, 535 elected representatives in Washington, D.C., in the Congress, and a bunch of appointed and just hired bureaucrats that run the world as far as the United States of America is concerned. We have a bunch of people that number among those that feel like we're already in an authoritarian state where they have the unilateral authority to do anything and everything they want and to tell the populace, here's what you must do. Yep. We're there, folks. I don't care what anybody says. Quit listening to what the claims are saying that they're making and look at facts on the ground. Well, let's just take a little respite before we get into the down and ugly and just find something to make us smile. How about make me smile? Can you do that?
Yeah, that sounds a little bit different, doesn't it? I got a text during this song from Steve Baker. Steve is a phenomenal musician, trumpet player. Um, I'm a musician, too, and a radio guy. We caught it the first time we heard it. I don't know if you caught it, but that's the song by Chicago, but that's not the Chicago version. It's a great story. A couple of years ago, I somehow found this Russian group, and they're called Leonid and Friends. I'll give you the guy's name if I can say it, the guy that put it all together. Leonid Vorobiev. He's a Russian musician and arranger, and he puts this band together, and they do Chicago songs, and the music is exactly like Chicago. They change the arrangements a little bit, and they add a little flavor from time to time. And of course, that song, Make Me Smile, that was the original vocalist for Chicago who sang it, and he died in a gun accident. And so the guy at Leonid and Friends tries to duplicate it, can't quite get there where Terry Kath did it with Chicago. But anyway, it's a great song. I thought you'd like it. And I'm glad Steve caught that, and uh, I could tell you, no, it wasn't Chicago. So that's a happy thought to get started today. And we need some happy thoughts. Before we get into the big thing, the big item of the day, the 900-pound gorilla story, something horrible happened overnight. At least 37 are dead after a fire engulfs one of those uh, migrant facilities down at our southern border. This one's right on the border between Juarez, Mexico, and El Paso. Two local government rescue sources say the death toll, which is expected to grow throughout the day, is at least 37 now. The facility is located near the Stanton International Bridge. I know exactly where it is that joins Juarez to El Paso. Authorities have not yet released any of their official reports, but according to a couple of newspapers down there, that's where the number 37 of people being dead, that's where it comes from. Another 40 were believed to have been evacuated from the area and taken to local hospitals for treatment. We're watching that. We're going to keep our eyes on it, and we'll give you updates throughout the show today. Meanwhile, let's travel north from there pretty ugly thing. And this is one of the ugliest things that happens in our nation whenever it happens. And I got to tell you, it happens way too many times. School shooting in Nashville at a Christian school of all places. And it was a transgender former student of this Christian school that was the shooter. That's really, really difficult. The suspect who killed six people at that school is the second transgender-identified woman who has attacked a school in the last three years. Transgender-identified Audrey Elizabeth Hale, who's 28 now, killed three adults and three kids at the school. That other transgender incident happened back in 2019. Alec McKinney was age 17 when she helped kill one teenager at a school in Colorado, and she claimed to be transgender. 
female mass shooters are really rare. But a 2011 study of 133 women who went through Sweden's masculinization treatment showed that female to males had higher crime rates than female controls and did not differ from male controls. This indicates that sex reassignment is coupled to increased crime rate in female to male transgenders. The same was true regarding violent crime. So anyway, back to Nashville. This killer left a manifesto. Local cops say so far, contents of that manifesto have not been released. But Republican Senator J.D. Vance of Ohio, he's called for the pro-transgenderism left to reconsider its advocacy for the idea that women can become men if simply given male hormones like aggression-boosting testosterone. Officials haven't said yet if the killer was taking testosterone, which is easy to get from doctors. Many critics of transgenderism spotlighted possible connections between the killer, transgender ideology, and medical treatments. The Swedish study, and many others, show that many transgender people become more unhappy, withdrawn, more suicidal when they claim to be members of another sex other than their biological sex. Major part of the failed therapy is that the vast majority of other normal and healthy people can't consider the claimed transgender people as romantic partners. One report that came out in 2019 reported a study by pro-transgender activists that how people wreck their chances of happiness by declaring a cross-sex transgender identity. And here's a paragraph from that report. Transgender men who try to live as women face sexual rejection from 71% of lesbians, 97.3% of men. The survey didn't say if the men had undergone cosmetic surgery. The survey included a hugely disproportionate share of 106 people who are sexual minorities, including lesbians and gays, plus queer, bisexual, and two-spirit people. But only 45% of these sexual minorities said they would date a transgender person, the report said. Only about one-third of self-declared transgender people try to change their bodies. Now, I thought before I saw this report last night, I thought it would be far more than that. Only one-third try to get their bodies changed. Less than a third have used hormone treatments or puberty blockers, and about one in six have undergone gender-affirming surgery or some other surgical treatment to change their physical appearance. With all of the light that shines on this from our political left and our mainstream media, one would think it would be a massive majority of these people that would do the entire thing, the surgery, other surgical treatment, gender-affirming surgery, but it's not even close to that. The Washington Post headlined the article, most trans adults say uh, transitioning made them more satisfied with their lives. But the study in the Washington Post skewed the results. How long? They excluded people who have stopped describing themselves as transgender. 
only a very small share of people, as much as one in 300, declare themselves to be trans. But most of that group don't consider themselves to be members of the other sex, but as some non-binary status in between male and female. Non-binary. That declaration allows a bunch of people to flee from the dating scene, which can be hurtful, can be crude and expensive for lower status youth. But the escape into transgenderism usually does not help these young people find happiness, even when applauded by our commercial society. The usually active ACLU, they ignored the massacre in Nashville last night. The New York Times buried the claim in its coverage, the transgender claim. In California, Democrat State Senator Scott Weiner blamed weapons of war for the attack and claimed that right-wing extremists are using a school massacre as another opportunity to demonize trans people. So the Washington Post, you know, that bastion of integrity and media, you know, they're not on either side. They're right down the middle, right? Well, they kept the attacker's transgender identity out of its headline, but did describe the claim in paragraph number four, if you get that far in the story, if you read the Washington Post. Nashville Police Chief John Drake said Hale was transgender. Asked if that had played a role in what he described as a targeted attack, Drake said it was part of the police investigation. There's some theory to that, the police chief said. But he added, we're investigating all the leads. Once we know exactly, we'll let everybody know. Don Aaron, spokesperson. Oh, no, no, let me get it right. The police department listed Don Aaron as a police spokesman. Later clarified the chief's remarks. Audrey Hill is a biological woman who on a social media profile used male pronouns. NBC, they downplayed the transgender identity, but broadcast an interview with the police chief who said, quote, there's some belief that there was some resentment for having to go to that school I don't have all the details of that just yet. That's why this incident occurred. We're unsure if that played a role at all. Okay. Do we really want to get into this? Because there's no way to win a conversation about it. The transgender thing. I'm not going to go there today, but what we are going to do is talk about what really is going on. Somebody got killed, six people, with a semi-automatic weapon. And the shooter had two AK-47s, one in their hand and one strapped over a left shoulder when all this took place. Not sure why there were two there. You could have a couple of magazines and just stick them in a vest that this shooter wore. Anyway, that's a story for another day. So you've got the Second Amendment promoters, and then you have the Biden gun violence people. They're all in there screaming and hollering, we got to get rid of guns. We got to get rid of guns. And the president calls it weapons of war. Listen to what I'm about to say the next sentence. An AK-47 
or an AR-15. The AK-47 is a Russian-built semi-automatic rifle. The AR-15 is the American version. Neither one of those guns is a weapon of war. Neither one. And unless our president is a stupid individual, he needs to start telling the American people the truth. The weapon of war that the United States military use and police forces around the nation use in their squat squads is not an AR-15. It looks like one, and it has similar things in it, but it's an M4. What's the difference between an AR-15 and an M4? M4 is fully automatic. Actually, to be honest, there's a switch on it, and the shooter can switch it to shooting one bullet at a time, just like the AR-15, or rat-a-tat-tat-tat like machine gun. The shooter did not have a weapon of war. None of these mass shooters, I don't know of a single one that occurred where the shooter actually used a real weapon of war, an automatic weapon. There may be one, but I don't know about it. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. There is no way. Let's just go right down the line, okay? Let's just do this one, two, three. How are we going to stop the gun shooting problems? Number one, we have to overcome all of these political hurdles. They're everywhere. Americans got to accept the fact that guns are here and they're going to stay here. Politicians need to stop their political posturing and they got to start developing and implementing plans to fix this problem. Congressional narratives, like one that comes from Senator Murphy, do nothing but illustrate the continual failure of not just Congress, but all of our elected leaders. Not just the ones in D.C. either, but around the country, governors, mayors, including those at even local levels. How do we overcome these political hurdles? Simple, demand and accept nothing less from the elected officials than positive results. Number two, find real and possible solutions. Debate them, throw them out there. Hey, here's a thought. And then instead of trying to debate and come up with the political answer that fits a political narrative, find the way to make them work. Develop plans. Use the best of them. And then implement them. (laughs) That's a novel idea, isn't it? Rather than follow a centuries-old proven method of fixing a problem, we just sit around complaining. Good old American ingenuity needs to kick in and take over. Why hasn't that already happened? Because not enough of the correct and capable Americans who could do that care enough to do it. Number three, what are possible fixes that could be used in our schools to stop all these senseless killings? Copying is the highest form of flattery. You know what? The United States is not the only free country on earth. 
certainly not the only country to ever face problems with gun killings. And there are free countries whose citizenry has done exactly what Americans are today crying for to stop any more of these Nashville-style shootings. So for just a minute, let's assume we together agree to fight through these barriers and together find, debate, refine, and revise and implement a process to successfully stop school shootings. Gee, is there somebody out there that's already tackled this instead of using political stuff to raise campaign dollars, really find a solution. There's a nation, a free nation, one of our allies that has done just that. Now you're saying, who is it, Dan? It's Israel. The perfect example of how to control school violence. I'm going to give you the plan. The Israeli people, not as politicians, not as cops, not as individuals, as a nation, they unify for the cause of protecting school kids, and they have virtually eliminated these kind of school shootings. So, novel idea. Why not take a closer look at their methods? Why not send some of our quote-unquote experts to Israel to spend some time to investigate how the Israeli people have done it? I can't think of another nation on earth that has more reason to do it than they do because they're constantly under attack from Muslims. You know that. It happened in the last two weeks. Right after I was there, right after I left, they had another incident. So how does Israel do and what do they do? Okay, there's a military service requirement for all Israeli young people, men and women. Those that have physical impairments and those with religious objections to military service are exempt. Everybody else serves a stint in the military. I saw it play out. There were women in uniform all over the place and they were doing non-combat kind of things but it means they know how to use guns in the proper circumstances. They all learn that. Now in Israel, if you're an Israeli, you want to own a gun privately, you got to get government approval to do that. Only with a reasonable reason for having a gun. So that's just a part of the picture. Let's get to the meat of the matter. School buildings in Israel are extremely secure. Every school building. Listen to what they do. Every one of them is fenced. Some with fences extremely tall to prohibit bombs from being tossed over into a school facility. Now remember, Israel is bordered on every side by the ocean and countries that have terrorist elements whose terrorist elements do not like Israel and occasionally conduct terrorist acts against the nation. Almost all schools don't provide school buses, as in the U.S. Students use public transportation, primarily commercial buses. Every bus contains an armed guard in the front, an armed guard in the rear, who are hired and are trained in self-defense and defense against a shooter or shooters. 
schools each, every one, have a guarded entry gate. One way in, one way out. You want to go in, you're stopped, you're questioned by a professional armed guard at the gate. Those entering, they've got to have a valid identification, a verifiable reason or appointment to enter school grounds. They must be accompanied at all times when on school property. If you've got a meeting, the guard will call the person you're meeting with who will come to the front gate and escort that person in for a meeting. Emergency incident responses for every type of emergency is devised, implemented, practiced at periodic scheduled intervals. They include all personnel and students who are regularly on school property. Every type of catastrophe is planned for. I'll never forget fifth grade. I'm in Lafayette, Louisiana at Edgar Martin Elementary, and we had a drill where everybody got under their desk. It was preparation for a nuclear attack. You remember those? In Israel, some teachers and some administrators carry guns. They're being armed as visible, by the way, so that everybody knows who is armed. Every teacher participates in a gun shooting and self-defense class, but teachers are not forced to carry a weapon. Doing so is voluntary. And the guards are not all armed. But those who are armed must answer to either local police authorities or military authorities who specifically handle Israeli school security. So the obvious question, how successful is Israel's school security at stopping school shootings? In 1974, Israel endured what's called the Ma'alat Massacre, in which Palestinian terrorists took 115 people hostage. And it happened at Nativ Mier Elementary School. 22 children and three others were killed. 68 were injured. Now we think our school shootings are bad. Think about that. 115 people taken hostage, 22 children, and three others. 25 people were killed, 68 were injured. After that, what happened? Israel and the Israeli people said, ah, had enough. We're not going to live in this. Nothing changes if nothing changes. We need to change the school shooting process. We're going to stop it. If we're going to do that, we've got to change the process. After that tragedy, Israel implemented the school protection plan that I just told you about. Listen to this. Since 1974, one year shy of 40 years, there have been Two incidents in Israel, both initiated by terrorists. And in those two, only four deaths occurred of students. Keep listening. More than 20 terrorists were killed during those two incidents. All but two of those came at the hands of armed school guards 
administrators, and even two students. That plan works. I think anybody that is honest would say, wow, 39 years? So the big question now is could this plan or a similar plan work in the United States? There's only one way any plan for school security is going to work here. Any plan's got to be highly investigated, structured at the 10,000-foot level by feds so as to assure sufficient laws and or regulations are put in place to support and manage a process like this and implement it on the local level with cooperation from everybody, local, state, and feds. And the general public will obviously have to sign off on it. That being said, just as in Israel, variations are going to be necessary based on nuances of individual schools' unique challenges. Considerations like exact location, facility structure, access, layout, proximity to interstate highways, waterways, law enforcement headquarters, and medical facilities, all of those got to be taken into consideration when planning and implementing this program locally. The U.S. Justice Department would necessarily take the lead in any program, but it would be imperative for law enforcement at the state and local level to assume and maintain every part of the program in conjunction with the feds. Cost? Well, no doubt such a program on a national level would be expensive. But how much money spent is too much to stop kids from getting shot at schools? Honestly, when considering the cost of trying to implement and maintain some type of gun control in the U.S., even if legal and possible, would cost tens of billions of dollars and would never be successful. Gun grabs. It didn't work in Australia. It's time to stop pontificating in front of the House and Senate in press conferences and on TV talk shows. It's time to take some action. Some members of Congress need to offer up a specific plan that's structured, kind of like the one that works and has for 40 years in Israel, that allows America to take control of the security environment of its schools. Wait a minute. We don't have that kind of money. Let me blow your mind. And Joe Biden's big bill, you know, when we were going in the heart of the COVID-19 lockdowns, oh, we got to take care of these school, these school kids and teachers and make sure they're, you know, they're not getting sick with COVID, yada, yada, yada. Los Angeles, L.A. County schools from Joe Biden got a check for $6 billion with a B billion dollars to retrofit retro the facilities to make them safe for these kids and teachers six billion dollars well then we don't want any of our schools to look like prisons come on now folks what the heck is your priority what counts 
This is America. We can do both. We can walk and chew gun. We can make our school facilities safe by doing some very fundamental and simple things that we don't even need to invent. We need to send some people to Israel. My hand's in the air right now. I wanted and I needed to and had a potential interview in Israel last month with Benjamin Netanyahu. I'd love to sit down with him and his security people and get them to tell us what the process is to go through to make this happen. And if it's not me, novel idea. How about Merrick Garland and Christopher Wray, Attorney General and head of the FBI? Do they really give a rip? Do we really give a rip? Do we want to stop the problem? Or are we just going to sit around and throw rocks at each other every day like we're doing right now? Find our differences and just start wah, wah, wah. I know you are, but what am I? Yeah, that was from Pee Wee Herman, and it was stupid in Pee Wee Herman, but it's more stupid in the United States. Do you really care about gun violence here? Do you really care about kids getting shot at school If you really care, do something about it instead of talking about doing something. And by the way, you're not taking away anybody's guns. It ain't going to happen. Give Americans a plan. Implement the plan to stop these killings. Do something or resign your office, Mr. Congress member, Mr. President, Ms vice president, or resign and allow someone who will do something to take your place. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm... I'm going to say hacked off, but you know the other words. I'm tired of all of this, and I'm tired of what happened last night and today, all day long. It's front and center on every news station, and it tops every news report, and they're all looking at ways to do what? Get the people that are watching television to watch us instead of those other people. We want to be number one so our ratings go up so we can charge more for our advertisements. That's what's happening today. Nobody's doing anything about it. You know what else is happening? While all of this news coverage is going on, there are a bunch of people that are sitting out there watching it that feel horrible about their lives. They feel really bad about their futures, don't have anything to live for, and they're saying, wow. You know, I've thought about suicide. I've thought about ending it all. I don't have any family that I get along with. I'm an outcast. Don't have any friends. Nobody gives me any possibility of credibility of achieving anything that's really an achievement. My life is worthless. Hey, I could do like that trans did in Nashville, and my name would be at the headlines all across the nation and even across the pond in both both ways, east and west. I think I'm going to go get one of my dad's guns and 
do the same thing. Now, somebody's going to say, Dan, you just gave people ideas. No, I didn't. They're watching it every day. They're seeing it day after day now and will for the next few weeks. Pictures, interviews. Oh, my gosh. They're breathless. We got to get these people in front of cameras. We got to promote the snot out of our coverage. Why not just send some people to Israel, Mr. Biden, starting with Garland and Ray and their henchmen? And if they don't want to do it, let me just make a suggestion. You know, we're an ingenuous nation. And I can tell you this. There is a way that federal law enforcement could be handled more economically, more successfully, and less politicized if it was taken out of the federal government and put in the private sector. And oh, by the way, let's form a corporation between Elon Musk and Donald Trump and let those guys do all of the infrastructure and guess what? It would work. Chris Ray, Merrick Garland, eh, not so much in my two cents. We don't have people that have the ability or have the desire to protect our nation from stuff like this. How can you say that, Dan? It's real simple. If they were going to do it, they would have already done it because they have all the resources they need. And what happened to that $6 billion that Joe Biden sent to the Los Angeles County Public Schools? $6 billion. You can put up a lot of fences around a lot of schools with that, can't you? 35 years after the original movie, Fox is bringing you back to where it all began. Nobody was baby in the corner. This is the real Dirty Dance. Yeah. Eight celebrities compete to become the real Baby and Johnny. Where my Johnny is? Some will rise. Some will fall. All will have the time of their life. The Real Dirty Dancing four-week event starts Tuesday at 9 on Fox 5. Get cracking and feel unbeatable with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. Bacon and cheddar or egg white and veggie. Made with cage-free eggs and packed with protein. Take on the day with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. America runs on Dunkin'. This is your home. This is your family room slash gym. The guest bedroom slash music studio. The day bed slash dog bed. The living room slash yoga shanti slash regional office. How did you guys do it? Slash classroom. And this is the basement slash panic room. Maybe what your family needs is a vacation home slash vacation home. Find yours on the Verbo app. When playing football, you run up to 120 pitches. You work out 650 muscles. You withstand three times your body weight. You treble your adrenaline production. You raise your heartbeat to 180 times per minute. And in the end, you lose up to three liters of sweat for one goal. This game is not a game. Gatorade works with no artificial colors or sweeteners. Locked and loaded with Truth Ammo. 
Taking aim at the problem, it's Dan Newman. Yeah, I'm aiming at the problem instead of just talking about the problem. I'm doing something now that I'm probably going to get in trouble for doing, and uh, I'm calling Steve Baker live on the air. I want to get his two cents in this before we leave this story. Hey there. Hey, Hey there. Hey. You're on the air live. I know you're not ready. This is flying by the seat of my pants. Uh, All right. Can you go ahead and load up your stuff? Let me give you a few seconds. I'll sing a song because I want to get your thoughts on what we are just talking about. All right. Let give give me. Are we on the air right now? You are talking to the world, my brother. <laughs> well, you definitely caught me by surprise. Let me go get my uh, let me go get my gear on, and we'll be right back. Okay. I don't want somebody naked going on the show, so go put your panties on. <laughs> <laughs> I will do that. All right. Call me right back. All right. We'll do. It. You just don't know what to expect when you listen to TNN Live. Um, I know he's got a lot of input in this because I know Steve is on top of it all. All that being said, I, um, I'm i adamant about this now. I've had enough. This has been going on for years. Do you know that information that I just gave you? Let me tell you the first time we published that information here at TNN Live. I'll look here and see. 18, 2018. Five years ago, I rolled this out there. I didn't see anybody even talk about it, yet alone pick it up and do something with it. Does that mean this is the only thing we can do? Absolutely not. But it is something, and it works, and it's working over there in Israel pretty darn good since 1974 with the fact that they are surrounded on three sides by nations that are full of terrorists. Here, he's coming here. Hey there. Is this better? Well, let me, let me, I got to push a button here, my friend. And did I lose you? I think I pushed the wrong button. Anyway, there's a way, there's a place we can do it let me call him. Are you there? I got you now. You're on the air live. Hey, <laughs> good morning. Good morning. So you heard the you know, whole. I should have followed. My, I should have followed my intuition because I had this feeling that you were. I, I don't know why. I, I I was looking at the clock and I knew we were you know 20 minutes away or whatever. And I went, I bet he's going to call me early. And I was sitting <laughs> on my front porch having my my morning coffee and cigar. Uh, yeah, I do that when the weather is nice. Oh my gosh. And, uh, you know, catching up on the news and doing that sort of thing, listening to your show. And, and then all of a sudden the phone rings and went, uh Oh, I should have, <laughs> I should have paid attention to my gut instinct, gotten here, turned my computer on and fired up my, uh, my rig. The 10 second delay didn't give you time because, uh, you couldn't, no. he- you couldn't hear me thinking that I was about to dial you. Uh, before we go along, <laughs> when you were smoking a cigar during my first break, I was loading um, in my humidor the thing that, you know, I put the water in to keep them misted and uh, keep the humidity set. I was filling mine up. What brand, what cigar were you imbibing on? 
I lost you. Are you there, Steve? Are you there? Yeah, I lost you for a second. I don't know what happened. Yeah, what brand? I'm here. It was a, it was an uh, Oliva or Oliva, however you want to pronounce it, Series G. Okay. So you like kind of a middle of the road. You don't like the real uh, dainty ones, but you don't like the ones that are black. Real, real, real. Oh, well, this this was a Maduro, and okay. it was... Uh, um, it's it's a medium bodied uh, yeah, yeah. smoke. I, I I like them all. I like a wide uh, variety. Have a I have a wide ranging palette, as they say. I got it. I'm a Diamond Crown. That's my number one. You familiar with it? Ah, uh, oh, absolutely. Huh? Yeah, well, they're a little pricey, and so every now and then my son blesses me <laughs> with with a box, which is it's a small yeah, yeah. investment to buy one. Anyway. Off of the cigar. You're the one that opened the door on the cigar stuff. So I had Sorry. to go there. Um, you sat and listened to what I what I gave to the folks. The history and the facts that are going on. And then look at the way we handle it in our nation. Greatest country yeah. in world history. And we can't stop these shooters. And it's not because we can't, Steve. It's because nobody wants to do it. They want to make money on it. They want to campaign and demonize each other and blame and point fingers. But we got to do something about that. Don't you agree? I absolutely agree. In fact, after Uvalde, Texas, that situation there, I was very vocal about what needed to be done. And and this is not a complicated issue, Dan, in any way, shape or form. As a matter of fact, you were, you were referring to the Israeli um, solution, so to speak. And our needed solution is not that much more difficult. I mean, first of all, let's just look at the money that is being spent coming out of Washington. You referenced what was sent to uh, Los Angeles schools, uh, that big multi-billion dollar check that the Biden administration cut for them. And this is not a complicated issue because for a fraction of what they are wasting in administrative costs in the Department of Education, and, and, and believe me, when, you, when we start talking about the Department of Education, uh, the Department of Health costs and what's being spent out of Washington unnecessarily that are driving up our costs related to education and otherwise, there is so much money available to harden every single one of these schools. And I'm not talking about... Uh, I'm not talking about putting up walls or putting up, as you mentioned, the the fences so tall that you can't toss bombs over them. We don't really have that problem here. Although the largest death toll in American history in a school violent situation was a bomb, actually. I think it was back in the uh, 30s. And that was the, the highest death toll in a, um, a school attack by a you know, domestic terrorist, so to speak. But that's not really our problem here. But what could be easily provided as a solution is a hardened door situation on every single classroom, one with a, a you know a, a depression lever on the inside, so that there's no problems with the need for emergency escape uh, escape during a fire drill or a, uh, an emergency situation of any kind where they need to get out. And that would prevent anyone from the outside being able to enter any one of those uh, uh, those doors inside the school. And this is even just getting if they if, if a shooter got inside the building, there's no way to get inside the classrooms. Uh, then there's of course the obvious uh, 
uh, mitigation effort of putting we have we have millions of retired special forces and uh, marines and uh, secure uh, law enforcement officers who would who are retiring at you know forty years old thirty eight you know you can you can retire at thirty eight years old on a government pension from these these jobs and they're looking for their second career they're looking for their second source of income and they could easily be uh, staffed with the money that's available. The problem is, and it's twofold, number one is these government agencies love to be bloated because the more people that you have on the government dole, especially on uh, a salary, the more votes you have for the party that likes employing a bloated governmental system. That's, that's the reason why there are millions of government employees instead of just a few thousand because that's all that's actually needed. The second reason is that, Dan, they don't want this security. They want the shootings to take place. They want these incidents to happen with greater frequency because they know if they can stir up the emotional backlash and reaction to these events, that that is, in fact, their best and clearest path to eliminating the Second Amendment. And let's just call a spade a spade because that's exactly what it is. And if they try to do that, you and I both know, uh, they can someday come up and, you know, amend the Constitution, which I don't think will ever happen because of practicality, how you have to go through the process to do it. But they could pass laws, Congress could, and then while those laws are being litigated through the court systems, ultimately get to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is going to declare those unconstitutional as long as the Second Amendment is in place. What happens then? I guarantee you what would happen is people like me would say, okay, come get my guns. And Joe Biden famously quipped a couple of months ago about, yeah, you've got guns. We have F-16s. Like, oh my gosh, this is the leader of the free world and he's going toe-to-toe or saying he would authorize F-16 attack on an American citizen? It's ridiculous, but that's evidence of how the bureaucratic political system in the United States works. Solutions don't matter. We've got to find a way to do something or not do something. And whichever one we choose as politicians, that's all about getting people to pay us more instead of just I, finding I a solution. A, I did an extensive interview with Kyle Serafin, uh, the FBI whistleblower, the, the number one guy that is. I've been making all of the news rounds uh, for the last several months. And he's the FBI whistleblower who uh, left the agency as a result of the uh, illegal use of what he deemed to be illegal use of the agency in their weaponization against uh, January 6th defendants. And he was interviewing me. Our interview ended up going three hours long. In fact, they split the interview into three parts. It, uh, part two was just posted up today. It's available on Rumble and other social media sites, all of mine. And the, just despite the fact that we spent three hours 
recording the interview. Then he and I spent another hour off the air with the record button off. And we were specifically talking about second minute, second amendment issues, these shootings and what the reaction would be ultimately. And we actually got into the discussion of what the American reaction would be if in fact they made an effort to go ahead and go against the second amendment. Now let's again, we have to call a spade a spade and we have to call the government out on everything that they're doing. We know that the amendment process, the, the article five amendment process would, is incredibly difficult and it's why Congress sidesteps it all the time. It's why the executive uh, um, branch sidesteps it all the time with executive orders because it's very difficult for them to follow the law. So they break the law and they amend the constitution by fiat every single day in little bitty tiny paragraphs slid into 2000 pages worth of uh, legislation. And one of the things that they have slowly been doing over the years is eroding the second amendment by, you know, uh, gun brace laws, um, you know, things of that nature. And, and we know that they believe that they can, in fact, uh, attack or eliminate or make illegal this quote unquote assault weapon. And of course I heard what you were talking about. These are not weapons of war. Uh, (laughs) Anybody who actually uses and holds and carries a weapon of war knows that these AR 15s and these semi-automatic rifles are not weapons of war, but nevertheless, that their goal is, is to sidestep the constitution and to make those illegal by executive fiat, by legislative fiat. And, and we know, and, and this was part of my off-the-record conversation with Kyle, is that there will be an unfortunate backlash if that happens uh, of a manner in which none of us want to see take place. It will be dangerous. It will, be, uh, it will put us on the precipice of a civil war. And Kyle, being an experienced uh, FBI special agent, and then, of course, having much of his contacts in life being with uh, former law enforcement, former uh, military, former special forces. <laughs> and then we, we talked about the, the F-16 uh, remark that Joe Biden made. And his remark to me was, if this thing happens and it breaks out, he said it will be a very, very short conflict and the government will not win that conflict. I, uh, I tend to agree with him because... Nobody knows how many guns there are in the United States. Um, I I can tell you, of course, you know, you're from here. I'm in the South. You're from the South. You know that guns are kind of um, a social thing for most people that live in the South that are natives. And we use them. We hunt. uh, We target shoot. I do all of those things. But I've got um, guns. And I have the so-called weapons of war. And I'm honest. I have started over the past five years collecting large amounts of ammunition. I don't know if you remember, but two years ago, you couldn't buy, you couldn't find ammo. Stuff that was costing a year before that, you know, $8 for a box of shells was selling online for $100. Uh, That's right the ammunition manufacturers couldn't get materials. And so that was, that terrified 
tens of millions of Americans, but we thought, and I'm one of them, I felt like our government was beginning to ratchet down and we're going to do a formal run at getting rid of the Second Amendment, like you said, through executive fiat. And, of course, Joe Biden loves to do that. Um, I got to be honest with you. We're right on the edge of something. And I'm not sure what it is. You see it. You hear it. You're in Washington, D.C. quite often. And it's not a pleasant thing to think about. And these school shootings, all they do is magnify and draw attention to something that's just kind of hanging out there. And I feel, honestly, Steve, it would only take one really big event to trigger, and if you want to call it a civil war, call it a civil war, but trigger a confrontation on a large scale between the government and the private sector, people, Americans, that have and are executing the Second Amendment. I think that could happen very quickly. And it really bothers me because if and when something like that happens, there's no good ending for it. No matter what happens, it's going to be ugly. Yeah. No, it's not going to be pretty at all. And I unfortunately believe that despite the fact that Americans, even uh, let's just say the guys on our side of the political aisle, that we have been willing to yield on far too many issues, in my opinion. We we have allowed progressive taxation to take place. We have, we have allowed so many other usurpations of our individual liberties to take place over many, many, many decades. And it is progressivism, and that's the very definition of progressivism specificism, small, tiny usurpations, bringing us towards an authoritarian regime eventually, which is their goal. But we have seemingly in this country, at least one line people are not willing to cross. And that is the second amendment. And the reason why I believe that that is, is that we know in our heart of hearts, we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that the reason the second amendment exists is not for hunting it's not for sports shooting. It is not even for self-defense, although that is certainly part of it. But it is, in fact, for the purpose of keeping in check an out-of-control government. And that is why I tweeted yesterday, I, and I, I said this, I said, as a parent, my heart breaks for those families who lost their children today in Nashville. I said, but also government is still the most deadly human creation in the history of the world. And that is why our founders gave us the second amendment because there's nothing more dangerous than government. For those of you that just joined us, yes, Steve Baker is with us now. And I've got to tell you full clarity. uh, I opened the show pontificating about the shooting and other school shootings, and I did some history and gave some information comparing the United States school shooting problem with what doesn't happen in the nation of Israel. Israel formerly had horrible school shootings that happened over and over again, but they made a hard choice decades ago to put a process in place 
to stop any school shootings. And there's only been two incidents in the last 39 years of school shootings. Both of the terrorists were killed in both of those instances by school administrators and even students. It's a process, and you you can go online at uh, truthnewsnet.org, and the front page story that's posted there has all the details of what we've talked about so far, and it's titled, How to Stop School Shootings in One Easy Lesson. So I brought Stephen early to get his fix on that because I know he is, um, as a Southerner, and now he lives, I guess, technically, uh, North Carolina's in the South, is it? I'm I'm still below the Mason-Dixon line, yes. Okay, all right. Well, I, I consider you, because I'm in Louisiana, if you're in Carolina, you're a Yankee. Um, <laughs> but... But we all, we have an understanding that a lot of people in the nation don't have because of where they live and how they were raised. Many people in the United States are afraid of people that own guns. And I get that. I understand that. But instead of trying to demonize and attack and get rid of those people that we don't understand, why don't we just get led by our leaders in D.C., and let's educate everybody. Let's be open and honest and talk freely with each other and get an understanding. And even if we get an understanding, it may be simply we understand we're going to agree to disagree. But at least everybody would know the other person's opinions, and we could do this. And maybe I'm talking about something that's panacea, it'll never happen, never has so far. Um, But even our forefathers, I mean, they fought each other over laws, creating laws, and what should be in the Constitution and what not. But one thing they all agreed on, and you referenced it at the end of what you just said a minute ago, you referenced it. If we ever come to a point where it's going to be militarily, the government against the population, I agree with you. The government won't win, and it's simply because our forefathers put those Ten Amendments in, the Bill of Right, in the second one of those, and were very specific about it to make the government understand that the people still control the government and that government is to always be of the people by the people and for the people, not of the government, by the government and for the government, which is where we find ourselves sadly living today. It's not people up. It's government down. And people in the United States maybe have not gotten to that summation that I just mentioned yet, but they know the split, the difference between government and the population is not good, it's not healthy, and it could explode at any minute. Where do That's we go exactly from here, right. Mr. Bacon? Where do we go from here Well, today? If, if we're talking about this particular subject, where do we go? You and I, we have uh, varying degrees of the size of our bullhorns. And whether there's, I don't know how many people are listening right now, a few hundred thousand, whatever the case may be, 
every single person within earshot of us at this moment needs to understand that when the government starts talking about disarming us, we have to push back and we have to tell them and we have to get in their face and let them know that that is not the solution to school security. They have the money. They are misallocating funds uh, egregiously. They have, without raising uh, another penny through legislation whatsoever, they can harden every school in this country. The funds exist. All they have to do is reduce the size of their bloated administrative staffs locally, state level, and federally, and the funds are already there. That's all they have to do. They can take the Israeli model as an example, and that's what we need to say back to them. We don't yield. We don't give in. We don't say, okay, yeah, well, maybe maybe if we get rid of the AR-15s. That's a load of you-know-what, Dan, because these people – are not worried about what type of gun they're bringing in. The idea that an AR-15 is more deadly than other types of weapons is an absolute falsehood. We know that beyond any shadow of a doubt, scientifically um, uh, and otherwise. It's just not the case. As I, as I mentioned at the very beginning of the segment, the largest death toll in the history of the United States in a school massacre was not even executed by a firearm. It was a bomb. And we know that people that want to do bad things are going to do bad things and they're going to get it done. And it doesn't matter. Look at, look at what happened to Ron, uh, Rand Paul's staffer uh, yesterday or the yeah, day before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and God bless Rand Paul. You know, I think maybe you and I have talked about this before, but Rand is my... Uh, my DC, um, <laughs> he's my spirit animal. He, he is, he is the guy closest, uh, to me in political philosophy on the Hill and has been since the first day that he, uh, took office. And I am a huge supporter of Rand Paul and no one has come under attack more frequently than him. Uh, hmm, I wonder why. And now we see one of his staffers was brutally stabbed, um, uh, in critical care, amazing, miraculously, this person has survived up to this point. Hopefully that's going to continue with everyone's prayers. But the point being is, is that you didn't hear any calls for knife control after Rand Paul's staffer was stabbed. Let me interrupt you right there. Let me interrupt you right there. Do you know that they're in the, you're going to love this. In the United States, it happens every year. There are more people murdered with hammers than are yes. murdered with guns. That's correct. Go figure. That's correct. And, 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 and ridiculous, really foolish countries like the UK have implemented knife control laws. Yes. Not just, the, not just against the carrying of them, but the acquisition and the buying of uh, normal household cooking you know, knives, carving knives, things of that nature, where you have to show IDs to buy those knives because once they took the guns away from the population, then what did the bad people start doing? They started stabbing each other. It doesn't stop. Uh, it, it, is, <laughs> it is going to, it, it is, it, and, and, and not just using knives, but they drive trucks sure. through large yeah. crowds. 
they're, they're going to find a manner by which to commit their atrocities and to commit mass murder. And it's not anything to do with the tool itself. It is the problem is in the evil that is in the hearts of man. And that is why every one of their solutions coming out of Washington are misdirected because the assault is ultimately on the second amendment because if they can eliminate the second amendment. And I said this, I said this to Kyle Serafin uh, in our off the record um, discussion last week. And I said this to him, I said, we have a situation right now in this country where that assault is so clearly uh, uh, intended to be executed by any means necessary because without the second amendment, and I, and I, I was very descriptive with him when I said this, having as large a platform as I have, and I get private messages from all over the world. I have had individuals from New Zealand, Australia, uh, Russia, other countries that have severe gun control laws who have told me in private messages, they said that when the American second amendment falls, freedom falls worldwide. People don't understand what I'm saying. This is a deep thought, Dan. And you have to, you have to understand that one of the things that is in our genetic code in this country, this liberty DNA that we brought. So we were populated by peoples who wanted to escape tyranny. And they're still doing that. I mean, it, despite all the problems that we have in this country, they're still pouring across our borders. They're still trying to get here from every country on the planet because they want to escape tyranny. We still have a higher level of, of a, at least a perception of individual liberty than they have anywhere else. And, and a perception of opportunity for individuals to make something of themselves, to uh, take care of their family. Uh, to to provide for their their uh, their progeny, and that is in our DNA. And one of the and the thing, not one of the things, the thing that protects uh, that genetically encoded notion and love for individual liberty that we have here is what the founders gave us in the Second Amendment. And that's why other people who long for liberty, long for what we have, and long for at least the American ideal of individual liberty, know that when we lose the Second Amendment, it's over, not just for us, but it's over for everyone. Whatever remaining vestige of individual liberty they have in Australia, in New Zealand, in Russia, in India, wherever, they know that when our Second Amendment is gone, their liberty is gone as well. That's how important that um paragraph is in our founding document let me predict and i'm doing it based upon the educated circumstances behind us this particular shooting is getting extraordinary international news coverage and that means there are going to be copycats that that pop up unless a national american leader stands up and says, enough's enough. We're going to get together and unify and in unity come up with a plan to stop this stuff from happening. We have that guy in the White House right now, or at least he tells us that. Here's how, I'm going to quote how he addressed 
the very first thing out of the White House yesterday, this slaughter in Nashville. And this is a quote. My name is Joe Biden. I'm Dr. Jill Biden's husband. I eat Jenny's ice cream, chocolate chip. I came down to the East Room because I heard there was a chocolate chip ice cream. By the way, I have a whole refrigerator full upstairs. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. Those were his first words when he came down to speak to the media and the world about what happened in Nashville. We don't have a real leader. We haven't had one so far that was able to garner the support, the acceptance to do this. And unless and until we have a government in place that is full of people that have totally bought into the idea that they work for the people of the United States, not for whoever's sitting in the Oval Office. They work for the people until we get somebody in the Oval Office that subscribes to that philosophy and then puts everything, everything in their personal lives, all their resources personally, nationally, and internationally to make life better for the American people and everybody else who wants to come here legally. Unless and until we have that person, it's just going to continue. Like my friend Steve Smolian said, pastors the largest church in New Mexico. Nothing changes if nothing changes. You want to stop school shootings? Stop doing the things we're doing now that allow them to happen. Implement some new things that stop it. I mean, we do it every day, Steve, on a personal level. We look at things that happen in our lives. If, if, you, if you do the same thing, you're going to get the same results every time. And it's insane for people to think, well, I can just keep on doing it, and it's got to stop. What's happening to me has got to stop. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Wow. So we've spent half an hour, a little more than half an hour talking about this. I know there's some other really important things and you're involved in some really important things and you've got a story um, on a January 6th person that just got caught up in it and it's really nasty and really ugly. And I want to give you the next little bit to tell us about it. Yeah, Dan, as everyone knows, since the January 6th event took place, probably 80% of my work has been centered around that. And some people, you know, here we are over two years later going, why are you still so obsessed with this? I'm not obsessed with with January 6th. I'm obsessed with the weaponization of our government against average, everyday, ordinary American citizens. And the story of George Tanios, a West Virginia restaurateur, who he and a friend of his went to January 6th uh, to, to participate in the, the rally that was happening there at the Ellipse and at the Washington Monument Lawn where President uh, Trump was speaking that day. He is a um, uh, first-generation Lebanese Christian his family escaped tyranny, as we were talking about earlier, to come and move to the United States. He became a very successful 
restaurant, uh, restaurant owner, owned multiple facilities up in Morgantown, West Virginia. And he loved his president. He thought that the election was stolen. And he wanted to make his voice heard along with hundreds of thousands of, of other people that day, none of which is illegal whatsoever. Doesn't matter whether you like Trump or not. Doesn't matter whether you agree that the election was stolen or not. The point is he was just operating uh, and, and acting upon his First Amendment right to bring his grievance to the seat of power in this country. And that's all he was doing. That was all he intended to do that day. He and his friend, in fact, he reluctantly uh, made his way over to the Capitol. And I don't want to get into the hardcore details because people can read about this or they can listen to the podcast that I did and my interview with George uh, just by going to either my locals page, my Facebook page, my Twitter page. It's, it's all there and it's all it's all available at at TPC for USA, just at TPC, the number four USA. You can find it all over the place. George Tanios is his name, T-A-N-I-O-S. That's where they'll get the details. But in short. He made his way with his friend to the Capitol. Uh, they didn't get there until about an hour and 15 minutes after the violence had already begun. As soon as they got close enough to the Capitol property to see that there was bad things taking place, he reacted the way most people did that day by the thousands. He pulled back and he retreated. He wanted no part of that. He had his family at home. He had his businesses at home. He didn't need to be caught up in anything untoward, anything illegal, even the perception thereof. But before they left West Virginia, as do many Americans when they're traveling to D.C. because you cannot carry firearms as personal self-defense protection into the district, he bought a couple of cans of pepper spray, put them in his backpack, his friend retrieved one of those cans of pe- pepper spray and his friend, in fact, went up into the line uh, where the, 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 the violence was taking place and he sprayed a couple of officers. Now, George was 100 feet away when this took place. One of those officers who was sprayed was the one who died the next day, Officer Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick. Two months passed after the event and George was swatted at his home by about 15 different officers from several different agencies, including the FBI, uh, U.S. Marshals, local police, and oddly enough, in Morgantown, West Virginia, um, personnel from the Capitol Police were there. He had no idea why he was being swatted. He didn't trespass. He didn't go into the building. He didn't commit any violence whatsoever. In fact, he did the exact opposite of violence. He retreated as soon as he saw it and went and stood back away from the event that was taking place. So he had no idea what was happening to him. He was held for about six days without being able to contact an attorney. When he finally had an attorney, a court-appointed one, he learned at that point that he was being charged with 10 felonies, including the murder of Officer Brian Sicknick, who, of course, was later determined by the D.C. coroner to have died of natural causes the next day, had nothing to do with the event of January 6th. They held him in prison for over five and a half months, miraculously, with great uh, effort by his legal team, 
they were able to take his case to the D.C. appellate court and in an incredibly rare circumstance, the appellate court slapped down Judge Thomas Hogan's denial of George's bond and ordered his release in a three to zero ruling, if you can believe that from a D.C. court, D.C. appellate court. He was released on his own recognizance. He did have uh, to wear an ankle monitor and was uh, restricted to home confinement for several months after that. And then his own legal proceedings then continued to progress for the next year and a half. Again, long story short, George finally had the 10 felony charges dropped after much legal effort. And they were dropped down to a plea deal arrangement of two misdemeanor counts of which they finally accepted just for it to go away. He actually pled guilty to two misdemeanors, which he did not commit, which he was not guilty of. But he pled down to them just so that the nightmare would be over. He hoped that the nightmare would be over. If you're just, if you're just, if you're just listening, I want to interject something there and say, Mm -hmm. when you get in a legal situation and the FBI or the Department of Justice are in it, and you're charged with something every single time, they will not agree to do anything unless you confess to something. There's a crime, whether it's a misdemeanor or not, you've got to plead to it. And I'm talking about not just the FBI or the DOJ, the IRS is the same way. You're going to plead guilty to something. You're not going to get off scot-free. Exactly. Uh, Because they need the notch in their gun belt for their own uh, promotions, their own bonuses, and their own advancement in their own political careers if they have such a a desire. And the weaponization of these agencies against him began with his arrest, which took took place over two months after January 6th, which meant that the FBI had plenty of time. The, The greatest, most lauded investigative agency in the world had more than enough time to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that George Tanios was not guilty of any of those 10 felony charges with which he was originally charged, nor was he uh, guilty of those two misdemeanor charges, which he eventually accepted. They know beyond any shadow of a doubt that he did not need to be swatted. He had never committed a violent act in his life. He'd never been in legal problems in his life beyond a speeding ticket. And he was absolutely targeted by weaponized and politicized um, uh, agencies for the purpose of making a statement to scare everyone else in the country away from exercising their First Amendment rights in protesting on a particular side of the political aisle. But what ended up happening, Dan, is in this plea deal, he agreed to a a one-year probation, time served, uh, uh, $1,800 fine, and they think it's over at this point, but it's not. It gets worse. Just when you think it's over, he gets notified that he is being named in the wrongful death lawsuit, federal lawsuit, from the Sicknick, Brian Sicknick family. And there's only three named defendants in this lawsuit. It is himself, George Tanios, 
his partner that he drove with to D.C., and former President Donald Trump. Oh, my gosh. All being sued for $10 million apiece. And guess who the presiding judge is over this civil <laughs> federal lawsuit? Same you want to guess? Same judge. No. Judge Maida. Oh, my judge gosh. Meet Your Maida, buddy. Your buddy. Over, yeah, who oversaw all three of the Oath Keepers trials. The, the, the number one hanging judge over all the Jason. I mean, he's the guy that if you want to take somebody down, in a political case, he's the guy you put on the bench. He's the guy where now it is guilty until proven innocent. That's exactly it. And this is targeted. It is retribution. And I believe, and of course, I don't have a smoking gun to prove this, but all the evidence circumstantially says so otherwise, is that the reason why with every single piece of evidence available, including dozens of videos showing that George participated in no violence. He in fact retreated when he saw it with his own eyes, got away from there. Had no, he was when, when Brian Sicknick, officer Brian Sicknick was sprayed by bear spray. And of course he was never hit over the head with a fire extinguisher. That was a lie uh, by the media to begin with, which was quickly disproved. But when Sicknick was hit with bear spray or pepper spray or whatever it was, George Tanios was somewhere between 100 and 120 feet away from him. Nowhere near him, nowhere near violence, not participating whatsoever. The FBI knows this. The Department of Justice knows this. The Brian Sicknick family knows this. The United States Capitol Police knows this. I guarantee you that Judge Amit Mehta knows this, yet nevertheless, he now has to face <laughs> a federal civil lawsuit and his co-defendant, his President Trump, this sandwich shop owner from Morgantown, West Virginia. Let me just put that, is, let me just put yeah. the, uh, in context, what a trial like that is for your friend. A federal civil case of this magnitude when you got to get an attorney to represent you I mean in D.C. you have to up front either put up or prove you have the capability of funding a minimum of a $400,000 civil suit defense and when I say put it up you know it means you got to pay them up front or you've got to get a letter of credit or something like that. Now, I'm sure in this case, which is so nationally politicized, there will be some of the not-for-profit folks that will step in and offer to defend him. But it is hellaciously expensive to defend such a, a lawsuit. They are deliberately attacking this young man, and they... Uh, from the very beginning, from the get-go, it was, as I said before, clear-cut weaponization of our three-letter federal agencies against everyday, average, ordinary citizens. And because they got a black eye from the D.C. appellate court, I believe that this 
action right here is just nothing more than the Department of Justice weaponization against him for having beat them back in a rare, rare, rare occurrence related to all these January 6th cases. Obvious. A story that I wish, uh, I hope everybody will go listen to. I hope everybody will go listen to my interview with George and you'll see what a humble, um, I mean, he's, he's a, um, he's, he's everything that you want an American to be. Uh, he's got the immigrant story of a family escaping tyranny to come here and have a better life in America. Became a successful small business owner and loved his country, loves God, Christian, and, and found himself in a situation which he recognized was not a good situation to be in. So he got away from it. Did all the right, made all of the right decisions. And one of the things that I've said from the very beginning of this, I've said it in dozens and dozens of interviews that I've done personally. I said, what I saw on January 6th was I saw bad people doing bad things. I saw good people doing good things. And I saw otherwise good people doing some really stupid things that day. And George doesn't fall into any one of those categories because he did nothing. He saw the, the evil that was taking place, the bad things that were taking place, the bad people doing bad things, and he retreated from it. And nevertheless, he's one of those stories of the federal government attacking him for making the right decision just St- because he was there. Steve, I um, had a conversation in closing. I have a conversation this weekend uh, about a 30-minute conversation with two people that you know that happened to be up there, and they're both horrified. They did nothing. They didn't go into the Capitol, but they were in the crowd, and they feel like, I'm sure, thousands of other people with what's being politicized, people in cases like the one that you're just telling us about today, and they hear that, and they hear that these people, months after, were just picked out of a crowd and get squatted, and they're afraid, they're scared to death that the same thing's going to happen to them simply for exercising their First Amendment rights. And this is supposed to be the nation, the shining city on a hill, the free, the best, the most educated, the most open, the most honest country on the planet. (laughs) And our leaders are ripping it apart at the seams, taking advantage of the rule of law by just trampling it and politicizing for their purposes that event that happened. And it was horrible. We both agree to that. What happened that day was horrible. Yep. But it did happen. But everybody that was there weren't conducting criminal acts. Steve, I want to thank no, Dan, you. and th- these are, these are the numbers. I want to I want I want to I want to throw this out at at your audience very quickly. Okay, please wrap your mind around this. There were hundreds of thousands. Now, the crowd estimates range from my own personal estimates from anywhere from four hundred to six hundred thousand people to in excess of a million. I think my estimate is more accurate, but nevertheless, the total number of people that had the Department of Justice and the FBI have identified as actually doing violence that day is less than 400. It's probably going to top out somewhere between three and 400 people total. That's it. That's all there is. That is 
That means that 99.98% of the people that gathered in D.C. that day did so peacefully, but there were there was an element, an organized element of individuals that did in fact create this ongoing narrative and this horror show of continued weaponization. I continue to use that word on purpose of our government against those ordinary average everyday peaceful Americans. And that's what's taking place right now. And there are a lot of people, we all know this, that are working to keep that narrative up in the air without revealing the people, the specific people that were in that crowd were planted there, that were there to do these things, to give the political process a chance to find these people and keep this kind of attack ongoing just to make sure that Donald Trump doesn't get back in the White House. That's certainly an element of this. Steve, I want to thank you for everything you're doing. Um, I know you're paying a price and uh, you're doing it because you love the nation and you want the truth out there. And any way we can help, you just let us know. Tell us where to go to do that, to read your, uh, your, your, yeah. listen to and read your story and hear the interview with him. But everything else that yeah. you're doing, tell us where to go. Yeah, the best place is to go to our locals community. And that is, as I mentioned before, it's just simply this. Anybody can just Google up uh, the, the at symbol at TPC, the number four, USA, TPC for USA. And you can find us on locals with that symbol. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter with that symbol, Gab, Niwi, Parlor, uh, several other locations. Um, Rumble is where all of my podcasts are. Uh, we don't use YouTube any longer, but go to the locals community because that's the hub. That's where everything spirals out from. And you can find the George Tanio story there, my full interview with him, uh, the written story on that as well. Uh, but you can also, and, and this is this is probably the, the most extensive and detailed interview that I've ever done. After my three minutes on uh, Tucker last week, a Tucker Carlson show, everybody was saying, oh my gosh, we needed more. We, we, needed, we needed an hour. Well, Kyle gave me a platform, uh, uh, Kyle Serap in the, uh, the uh, FBI whistleblower. He gave me three hours and we broke it up into three parts. And so part two was uh, released today, but all three parts will be found right there in my locals community. And so just go there. Uh, it's uh, you can, you can type in TPC for USA.com. It'll take you straight there. Or you can Google at TPC for USA and find us in all those other locations. As usual, my friend, anytime you, uh have something that we need to know about. Give us a jingle. Will do, Dan. Thank you so much. Steve Baker, live from North Carolina, about D.C. It's a lot to take in, but when you need a refresher, it's all here. 24-7, 365. Every podcast, every blog. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. amazing. He's talking about motorcycle insurance, and people love it. Of course, they love the savings they're going to get with Geico, but it goes beyond that. You deserve to save. (laughs) Heard that before. You deserve to save. I know. I need you to hear me. You deserve to save. I deserve to save. 
I mean, he has a way of making you feel seen. Bundle car and motorcycle insurance and save at Geico.com. Ready to take your Jenga skills to the next level? If you're an all-star at building towers and balancing blocks, then build up the competition in new Jenga Maker. Play in teams to finish first and claim the crown. Jenga and new Jenga Maker. Reach the top of your game, each sold separately. At Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. We design smarter ways to detect motion for emergency dispatch in seconds. We create HD cameras so you could see what's happening in your home from anywhere. All powered by Fast Protect technology, exclusively from Simply Safe for faster police response. Because in here, your safety is the only thing that matters. Advanced home security, 24/7 professional monitoring. There's no safe like Simply Safe. CBS, NBC, ABC, MSNBC, CNN. An alphabet soup of lies, myths, and disinformation. For real nutrition, you need a full plate of truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. In the middle of all of this confusion and chaos and weaponization of things against the American people, we would expect to have a national leader, somebody at the top of the heap, like in the Oval Office, that would really constructively lead us and get things going better than they are. It doesn't matter what direction you look. We can find ways to do things better than they're being done right now. We can do that. So we have leaders in Congress, yes, Nancy Pelosi is no longer the House Speaker, but Chuck Schumer, he's still the majority leader in the Senate. So where, oh where, are the legislative measures that should come from the Senate to fix some of these problems that we have? Let me just point out a few things for you. They're not creating anything that they're giving to us to make things better for your lives right now. And folks, our economy is flat as a flitter. In fact, it's in negative territory. Our banking system is in horrible shape. Our appearance in the world, on the world stage, that we formerly were looked at as the number one nation on the planet, that's even in question now. It looks like our former buddies, at least in the last administration, they weren't really buddies, but Our president had them at arm's length, and they were understanding each other. I'm talking about Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping, the leaders respectively of Russia and China, and they've slipped off and cut their own deal and cut the United States out of that process. And so what is our leader doing? Well, ahead of the U.S. House of Representatives voting on Bill H.R. 1, Lower Energy Cost Act, where it's expected to pass, by the way. The White House released a statement yesterday and said he's going to veto it if it ever gets to his desk. H.R. 1 is the name of the bill, which is House Resolution Number 1 for this session. They tell us, the White House does, that it would double the cost of energy efficiency upgrades that families need to reduce household bills, and would repeal the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund that will cut energy costs and boost economic development in rural and urban communities. 
H.R. 1 would also empower big companies to skirt the Clean Air Act by lifting pollution control requirements, weaken emissions requirements and worker protection for refineries using toxic chemicals, modify requirements under the Bipartisan Toxic Substance Control Act for determining the safety of chemicals used in the energy sector, and repeal $1.5 billion in investments focused on curbing methane leaks that harm surrounding communities. You know, those methane leaks, methane gas. Remember AOC, when she first was elected to the House, one of the ways she suggested we could clean up our environment was to get rid of cows because cow farts are the number one producer of methane gas. I'm not joking. All of the stuff that Joe Biden says in that, and that was a quote from Joe Biden, at least the statement that came out of the White House, all those things, every one of them are factors in the Green New Deal. Joe Biden's massive climate change stuff that will never work, isn't working. Everything they put in place since he was elected on this, either through legislation or executive action, none of it works. None of it is effective. Yet we have spent hundreds of billions of dollars perpetrating this chaos, this clean energy stuff. The House passes additionally a Parents' Bill of Rights. H.R. 5, the Parents' Bill of Rights Act, the bill passed the House in a 213 to 208 party line vote. H.R. 5 is the fulfillment of the Speaker, Kevin McCarthy's long-promised parental bill of rights. It would do several things, each with overarching goal of ensuring that parents know what's going on in their children's classroom. You would think something like this, everybody would be standing up and applauding it, finally, Parents are going to be able to know for certain what's going on in public schools where their teachers are supposedly teaching their children. This is crazy, folks. We're going through the, and this bill, If I promise you, if it gets to Joe Biden's desk, if it should pass over in the Senate, and get to Joe Biden's desk, he's going to he's going to kick it out. He's not going to sign it. One thing after another, one after another. So did you hear what happened? And I'm racing few, uh, through a few of these important things that I want you to know about. Everybody now knows Matt Taibbi. We know who he is. He is a leftist journalist. He's not conservative in any way. Representative Jim Jordan yesterday demanded some answers from the IRS. Guess what the IRS did? An IRS agent made an in-person visit to the New Jersey home of Matt Taibbi. I'm not kidding. Jordan penned a letter to the commissioner of the IRS, Daniel Werfel, and he copied 
Treasury Secretary Janet Lellen, in which the House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan requested all documents, all communications relating to the IRS's alleged field visit to Taibbi's New Jersey home March the 9th, the same day he appeared before Congress to testify on what? Government abuse. You can't make this stuff up. Don't think for a second you possibly are not in the bullseye of somebody at the federal government. I'm serious, folks. None of us are exempt. How brazen is that? And IRS agents to show up at your house the day you're in Congress testifying about government overreach and government evil. Everybody is afraid of the IRS. I mean, they're the most powerful agency in the government. Did you know that? They have more unilateral authority to do more to you and me than any other agency in the government. And guess what? They know it. They know it, and they're proud that they have that reputation. Oh, my gosh. And then we have really stupid people in our nation, in leadership. Wayne State, Wayne State University, a professor was suspended after he wrote on Facebook that it is more admirable, his word, to kill a right-wing speaker than it is to shout them down on a college campus. Stephen Shaviro, a College of Liberal Arts and Science professor at Wayne State, wrote in a Facebook post Sunday that while he does not advocate violent federal and state criminal codes, it is far more admirable, he said, to kill a racist, homophobic, or transphobic speaker than it is to shout them down. When right-wing groups invite such speakers to a campus, it's precisely because they want to provoke an incident that discredits the left and gives more publicity and validation to these reprehensible views than they could otherwise attain. That's what he wrote, according to a screenshot of a now-deleted post. These protesters get blamed instead of the bigoted speaker. The university administration finds a perfect excuse to side publicly with the racist or the phobies. The national and international press has a field day saying that bigots are the ones being oppressed rather than the people those bigots actually hate being the victims of oppression. This is one of those guys that's teaching our kids. (laughs) We're paying him to teach our kids. Biden's administration has been hit with a class action lawsuit, interesting, over how the president and other top officials pressured big tech to censor users. Lawyer Robert F. Kennedy Jr., his group Children's Health Defense, and Louisiana resident Connie Sampagnero brought the suit in U.S. court here in Louisiana against Biden and top officials like Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, Homeland Security Secretary 
Alejandro Mayorkas and White House assistant Rob Flaherty. The pressure the officials and their agencies brought to bear against Twitter and other big tech companies to crack down on alleged miss and disinformation, including targeting Kenny personally, violates the U.S. Constitution's First Amendment, according to the lawsuit. It's well established the government violates the Constitution if it uses coercive threats to induce private parties to censor protected speech or if it engages in collusive joint action with private parties to violate the First Amendment. What's the basis for this lawsuit? Well, in part, on evidence that has been uncovered by litigation in the same court brought by the Attorneys General of Louisiana, Missouri. That lawsuit produced documents from the government and big tech showing repeated efforts by U.S. government officials to get the companies to take action against social media users. None of this is strange. And every part of it has pretty much become normalized. Uh, I've got so many things I want to say, so many things I want you to hear. I'm trying to think. I, I've I've got I'm gonna save some of this stuff till tomorrow, folks. Those of you who are still here that tune in every Tuesday to hear Steve, we are running out of time. We've got some things that you need to hear about, and we will have them for you. About four elements that you need to know about, you need to hear for yourself in tomorrow's show. So make sure you're here. We'll cover these in the first hour of the show tomorrow. It's time for us all. It's time for us all to get together and agree on some things. Chris Wallace, who years ago, I really, really liked him. I really did. I thought he was right down the middle, not a leftist, not a rightist, but a real journalist. And I thought he was there until he started pontificating about his personal political views. Well, over the weekend on CNN, where Chris is now, he had a conversation with actor Brian Cranston. Have you heard about this? Cranston, he's one of those guys out there. He's a hardcore leftist. And he pontificated about racism. Listen to what he says. How did we get to a point where we treated other human beings as slaves and and were okay with that? When I, when I see the, the Make America Great Again, my comment is, do you, do, you, do you accept that that could possibly be construed as a racist remark? When was it ever great in America for the African-American? So if you're making it great again, it's not including them. Our privilege has created blind spots for us. And maybe I haven't seen what is really happening First off, America is the least racist nation in the history of the world. That is why black people, white people, Asian people, and all sorts of other people still want to come here. You know that slavery was the way of the world. And the United States in the last 200 plus years was the country that really ended it quicker than anybody else. Yeah, what a way to end a show today with facts. We are the least racist country on the planet, and yet 
our leaders, our political leaders, are weaponizing the term racism against a segment of our society, calling that segment and everybody in it racist. And they're not. It's an attempt to destroy the structure of the nation, which says liberty and justice for all. This segment that's doing this, Brian Cranston, just a member, one member of that segment. What's their objective? To demean a segment of the society, so much so that the other one, the other segment, has total control in the nation. Hey guys, thank you for being here today, every day. I do not ever take you for granted. We'll see you tomorrow. And we have a lot. You need to read today's front page story at truthnewsnet.org. See you later.